from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The Mueller investigation has been over for a month and a half, and instead of the country coming to grips with the outcome and starting the healing process, the nation, at least in Washington, on the Hill, and at the White House, seems to be more divided than ever. There's talk of impeachment, executive privilege, constitutional crisis, none of which is good for the country. So how did we get here? On this program, we'll take a look back five years at what started it all and how we're going to get out of the mess we're in now. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The Mueller investigation concluded on the 22nd of March, but the acrimony between Congress and the president has only gotten worse and seems to have sunk the nation into a new round of divisive actions. The president on today, May 8th, asserted executive privilege over the Mueller report. There is talk on the Hill of impeaching the president. There's also talk of a constitutional crisis. So exactly, what started all of this? Let's review what we've learned so far. On January 10th, 2017, Director of National Intelligence Jim Clapper revealed Russia had attacked the U.S. We have high confidence that President Putin ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at the U.S. presidential election. President Barack Obama knew something was afoot in September 2016, and he had some words with Vladimir Putin. Cut it out, and there were going to be some serious consequences if he didn't. CIA director at the time, John Brennan, warned his counterpart, Alexander Bortnikov, to stop the meddling. Mr. Bortnikov denied that Russia was doing anything to influence our presidential election. But according to a high-confidence, unanimous assessment from the entire intelligence community, Russia was interfering, and it continued. Moscow's influence campaign blended covert intelligence operations with overt efforts by Russian government agencies, state-funded media, third-party intermediaries, and paid social media users. The list of targets was extensive. People and organizations associated with the 2016 U.S. presidential election, including both major U.S. political parties. Republican Senator Marco Rubio was one of those targeted. In July of 2016, uh, shortly after I announced that I would seek re-election to the United States Senate, former members of my presidential campaign team Uh, who had access to the internal information of my presidential campaign were targeted by IP addresses uh, with an unknown location within Russia. 
And on November 8th, after the election results were in, Vladimir Zirinovsky, a Russian politician, celebrated with champagne. And intelligence sources say other Russian government and intelligence officials in intercepted conversations congratulated each other for achieving something they had tried unsuccessfully to do during the entire Cold War. It's November 15, 2016, one week after the U.S. election. I'm at a NATO conference in Sofia, Bulgaria. The place has been buzzing about Russian interference in the U.S. election. One intelligence source has told me there are no less than 140 English-language fake news outlets in neighboring Macedonia, all for the purpose of manipulating voters' thinking in the U.S. Back in Washington, March 30, 2017, former FBI Special Agent Clint Watts had noticed similar activity, and he told the Senate Intelligence Committee he believed those websites were linked to bots. A closer look at those bots tied in closely with other social media campaigns we had observed pushing Russian propaganda months before. U.S. intelligence believed it was all a part of a sophisticated Russian intelligence operation. They have an extremely capable intelligence service with exceptional cyber capabilities that they have repeatedly demonstrated, not only against the United States, but against uh, places like Estonia and Georgia. Robert Litt was general counsel in the office of the director of national intelligence. Former House Intelligence Committee chairman Mike Rogers said this was a part of an overarching doctrine in Russia. And so they took all of their cyber actors and are combining them in this one information warfare center. In an exclusive interview, Virginia Senator Mark Warner, vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, explained how Russia went about its work. Specifically what Russia did, they started a campaign where they hacked into private individual accounts, both parties' accounts, Democrats and Republicans. And Warner said the Russians made a decision. To only release information harmful to the Democratic candidate Clinton somewhere mid-spring to summer. The second part of their campaign, which was even more sophisticated, was using modern technology, using the internet, so-called internet trolls. Mike Rogers explained to us how the process worked. In the cases that have been publicly reported, they talk about 12-hour shifts. And in those shifts, they're given a certain number of posts that they have to do. So they would go out and actively look at sites that they believed, they being the Russians, would believe would have some impact on people's opinion of either a person or an idea or a policy. It took us about a year, but we went out and found one of those trolls working in the troll factory. His name was Marat Mindyarov, and he confirmed exactly what Rogers had told us. He worked in a large building located at 55 Sovashkina Street in St. Petersburg, along with hundreds of other people during that 12-hour shift. They were trolls. A large part of their objective and job description was to sway U.S. public opinion through an elaborate social media campaign. It was a highly organized operation, just like news operations all over the world had a morning assignment process. The work, some say, was mindless, but to him, it was grueling. So he didn't last long in the job. Then he left, but not before learning something critical about what some say was the most brazen attack on U.S. democracy in history. You're about to hear all the extraordinary details in our exclusive interview. Marat, let me start off by saying you have a very, very powerful story. 
And thank you. Thank you You're so welcome. much. Thank you so much for speaking out about your situation. You worked for the Internet Research Agency, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. How long did you work work there? What years were you working there? I worked there two, mon two months uh, of, in December 2014 till February 2015. Why did you go to work there? Well, because I was unemployed first. Second, it was next to my house. And third, I was curious what's going on inside of this um, building. So what were you doing what, when you went to work there? What were you hired to do? I was hired to make the comments on the Russian uh, political websites. What time did you go to work each day? And when you got to work, what were the instructions? Well, it was uh, two shifts uh, by 12, uh, 12 hours shift. Shifts. Um, I started at 9 a.m. and finished at 9 p.m. We should write 135 comments a day, 200 uh, signs minimal each. So when I went there, uh, so the job was made like that. At the morning, you have the email with all these links. Where, should, where you should to write and uh, the topics and w about what and how you should to write. So you just mm -hmm. need to play with the words. Okay, so you, you are writing the same everywhere. Uh -huh. So you worked a full day all day? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so how did you get to work? You said this was near your house, so you just walked to work, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you got there, you said you were curious about what was going on. Once you got inside, what did you think? Were, was that what you thought was going on, or did was this something else? Well, I was disappointed, of course, because uh, it was really a feeling of the factory and the factory from the Orwell or Kafka worlds, because the job was very monotonous. It was no any creativity in this job. It was very mechanical writing because nobody cares about your opinion and thoughts. You just need to follow the line, yeah, what you should to write. And it was always uh, suppression and repression from the bosses because you should to write quick and um, right. That's all. Mm -hmm. Were you aware when you went to work and you were doing this work how important it was that it was a part of the Russian intelligence, the Russian uh, government operation to meddle, to interfere in the U.S. election? Did you Were you aware of that at the time? Well, at that time, uh, the, um, the election uh, ha has been just started. Hillary Clinton just wanted to be a president. So it was not the main theme at the time when I worked. But when I worked, I tried to go to the Facebook department because they have been paid twice uh, more. So um, my uh, test uh, was uh, to write about the uh, possibilities for the winning for the uh, Hillary Clinton. So, so they started already at that time to think about it. So let me get this clear. When you went to work there, you were doing just the regular comments every day. Basically, they would tell you what 
uh, who to comment to, what to essentially uh, engage on. But then you got an opportunity to move to the Facebook department. That's, is that what you were just saying to me? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did that go? Well, uh, you should to write uh, essay about the Hillary Clinton, and they check how is your written English uh-huh. good or not, and of course, what uh, are you writing about? Yeah. So I've uh, um, I didn't pass this exam. Mm-hmm. Maybe my English was enough, not enough. Maybe I wrote that the Hillary Clinton will be cool if it will be the first uh, uh, female president, the first woman. Murat's assignment to write about Hillary Clinton becoming president was not arbitrary. It was designed to evaluate his suitability to work for the so-called Facebook department. He didn't know it at the time, but she would become a main focus of the work going on inside the Internet Research Agency. Almost three years later, outgoing Director of National Intelligence James Clapper confirmed as much on January 10, 2017, when he briefed the Senate Intelligence Committee on the findings of their investigation into whether the Kremlin interfered in the 2016 U.S. presidential election campaign. We have high confidence that President Putin ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at the U.S. presidential election. The goals of this campaign were to undermine public faith in the U.S. democratic process, denigrate Secretary Clinton, and harm her electability and potential presidency. Putin and the Russian government also developed a clear preference for President-elect Trump. Russia aspired to help President-elect Trump's election chances when possible by discrediting Secretary Clinton and publicly contrasting her unfavorably to him. Moscow's approach evolved over the course of the campaign based on Russia's understanding of the electoral prospects of each of the candidates. When it appeared to Moscow that Secretary Clinton was likely to win, the Russian influence campaign began to focus more on undermining Uh, her future presidency. As a result of a number of factors, including what the intelligence community had learned about Russian efforts, the firing of former FBI Director James Comey, and the decision by former Attorney General Jeff Sessions to recuse himself from any investigation, on May 17, 2017, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein appointed a special counsel. That was Robert Mueller and the objective was to investigate the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. And according to its authorizing document, the investigation scope included allegations that there were links or coordination between the Trump presidential campaign and the Russian government. So today, May 8th, 2019, a few weeks after the Mueller report was released, we've learned by reviewing exactly what the Russians were up to how their campaign was essentially put together. And now, knowing all that, we take a look back at when it all actually started in the U.S. At about 8.30 a.m. on September 11, 2014, the Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness in St. Mary Parish, Louisiana, began getting phone calls from concerned citizens about a disturbing message they'd received. Well, we started getting phone calls in regards to a 
message that came out. It says, toxic fumes hazard warning in this area. And it gives the time, 1.30 p.m. Duval Arthur Jr. is director of the Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, and he was on duty at the time and recalls the message that came in. Take shelter, check local media, and, and then it has the name of a company, Columbia Chemical Company Alert, C-O-L-U-M-B-I-A chemical.com. That's the, the name that was on the alert. Where did you get the message? Where did that alert come from? Oh, it didn't come to us, but we, we started getting it from residents that live in the uh, an area of the parish that's not too far away from the plant. So they saw, they saw this online or on their phones or? On their phones. They, these were text messages. And uh, it was sent from a telephone number, which I'll give you, 646 5865960. That was the telephone number of the text. And it went out to several people. We had phone calls from people while we were making phone calls, so we really didn't get a chance to get everybody's name. We do have the name of a couple of people that mm-hmm. that we were able to get the screenshots from. Mm-hmm. And they called in complaints. What did they say? Just said that what should they do? Is this legitimate? By that time, the internet was blowing up with details about the alert. On Twitter, a screenshot was circulated of the New Orleans Times Picayune website, which depicted an article about the explosion. At one point, an image of CNN's website turned up on Twitter with a photograph of the explosion. A Wikipedia user created a page describing the explosion. A public Facebook page titled Louisiana News posted an article describing the event. Even a video appeared on YouTube that appeared to be news footage of ISIS claiming responsibility for the attack. All of this was taking place while near panic started to set in in St. Mary Parish and all up and down the east coast of the U.S. And while it was happening, Duval Arthur got on the phone. And he called Columbia Chemicals to ask what was going on, and they sent him a statement. September 11, 2014, it says, We have been informed by the community that a text message has been received by several individuals indicating a release of toxic gas from the Birla, it's B-I-R-L-A, Birla Carbons Columbian Chemicals, and it's Colombian instead of Columbia, okay? Mm-hmm. Columbia, Columbian Chemicals Plant near Centerville, Louisiana. The content, as stated by the text, is not true. There has been no release of such toxic gas, explosion, or any other incident at our facility. We are not aware of the origin of this text message. Law enforcement authorities have been contacted and are following up on this matter. And that is when the real panic began to set in. The realization that all of it had been a hoax of epic proportions. The spoofed websites, the faked screenshots of CNN and other newspapers and broadcasters, even the video showing a man watching TV, all of it was elaborately staged and executed. Then, 
The question was, who did it? We asked Duval Arthur that question. So when did you find out what was behind the hoax? Who was behind the hoax? No, I've never found out who was behind it. I was told that it was the Russians, but I have no I I have no information on that, none whatsoever. Did, did you see the story that Adrian Chen wrote in the New York Times where you were quoted? I, I, I heard about it. I, uh, I never saw it. But I assure you that I don't know that the Russians or anybody else did this, okay? okay. I, I couldn't tell you. We spoke to the FBI in Louisiana about it as well. We were told they'd get back to us. So far, we haven't heard anything yet. As we dug further into the story, we learned that wasn't the only Russian attempt to manipulate the news in the U.S. In late 2014 and throughout 2015, we watched active measures on nearly any disaffected U.S. audience, whether it be claims of the U.S. military declaring martial law during the Jade Helm exercise, chaos amongst Black Lives Matters protests, or a standoff at the Bundy, Bundy Ranch, Russia's state-sponsored outlets of RT and Sputnik News characterized as white outlets, churned out manipulated truths, false news stories, and conspiracies. Clint Watts, a former FBI special agent, currently a fellow at the Center for Cyber and Homeland Security at the George Washington University. He told the Senate Intelligence Committee on March 30th, 2017, Russia was very much involved in manipulating the news for their own special purposes. And he talked specifically about how they did it. They generally lined up under four themes. One, political messages designed to tarnish democratic leaders and institutions. Two, financial propaganda created to weaken confidence in financial markets and capitalist economies. Three, social unrest crafted to amplify divisions amongst democratic populaces. And four, global calamity pushed to incite fear of global demise such as nuclear war or catastrophic climate change. So what's at play here is a very sophisticated, coordinated operation to attack the U.S. from inside out, in plain sight, without us knowing what was happening. Watts told the Senate how it unfolded from his vantage point. From these overt Russian propaganda outlets, a wide range of English-speaking conspiratorial websites, which we refer to as gray outlets, some of which mysteriously operate from Eastern Europe and are curiously led by pro-Russian editors of unknown financing, sensationalize these conspiracies and fake news published by white outlets. American-looking social media accounts, the hecklers, honeypots, and hackers I described earlier, working alongside automated bots, further amplify this Russian propaganda amongst unwitting Westerners. After the Justice Department put it all together, they came out with a very strong case against the actors inside Russia with a massive indictment. Good afternoon. On February 16th, in a stunning announcement, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein revealed that 13 Russian nationals and three Russian companies had been indicted by a grand jury impaneled by the special counsel investigating allegations of Russian government interference in the U.S. political system including the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Twelve of the individual defendants worked at various times for a company called Internet Research Agency, LLC, a Russian company based in St. Petersburg. The other individual defendant, Yevgeny Viktorovich Prigozhin, funded the conspiracy through companies known as Concord Management and Consulting, LLC, Concord Catering, and many affiliates and subsidiaries. 
Rosenstein said the sophisticated effort, which cost millions of dollars, began in 2014 and employed hundreds of people. The case dragged on, and when it was done, the special counsel turned his results over to the attorney general, William Barr. And here's what William Barr had to say when he released the report on April 19, 2019. After nearly two years of investigation, thousands of subpoenas, hundreds of warrants and witness interviews, the special counsel confirmed that the Russian government sponsored efforts to illegally interfere with the 2016 presidential election, but did not find that the Trump campaign or other Americans colluded in those efforts. After finding no underlying collusion with Russia, the special counsel's report goes on to consider whether certain actions of the president could amount to obstruction of the special counsel's investigation. As I addressed in my March 24th letter, the special counsel did not make a traditional prosecutorial judgment regarding this allegation. Instead, the report recounts 10 episodes involving the president and discusses potential legal theories for connecting those activities to the elements of an obstruction offense. After carefully reviewing the facts and legal theories outlined in the report and in consultation with the Office of Legal Counsel and other department lawyers, the Deputy Attorney General and I concluded that the evidence developed by the special counsel is not sufficient to establish that the president committed an obstruction of justice offense. So here we are. The investigation is over. The indictments are done. There are not likely to be any more arrests connected to this. There are not going to be any trials. It appears to be done. The special counsel has said there was no collusion between the president or anybody in his orbit and Russia. He also left open the question of whether or not the president obstructed justice. Bottom line, the White House and Congress aren't speaking very well of or to each other right now. So where do we go as a nation from here? In order to take a look at this, it's important to remember this is not a political program. This is a national security show. So in the process of taking a look at what's next for us, I thought it would be important to get a voice that could speak from all perspectives. And to do that, we have a former member of Congress, a former White House Chief of Staff, a former Secretary of Defense, and a former Director of the Central Intelligence Agency. His name is Leon Panetta. It raises a lot of concerns uh, about uh, the state of our democracy. Um, I, I see kind of a confluence of, uh, of two forces that uh, are really impacting on the ability of our democracy to govern. Uh, one is uh, uh, the constitutional challenge that's going on with the uh, with the president. Uh, you know, the first uh, certainly in my memory and perhaps in American history of a president who is uh, taking a blanket approach to uh, basically saying he will not cooperate uh, with the uh, Congress's authority to do oversight uh, and uh, our. Our forefathers uh, had developed a system of checks and balances. Uh, they made clear they didn't want power to reside in any one branch of government. Uh, and now uh, we have a president who's trying to uh, basically uh, go against that whole system of checks and balances. So 
and all of that's taking place at a time when I think there there are a lot of political challenges going on in Washington as well uh, with the partisanship and the gridlock uh, and the dysfunctionality uh, in the sense of uh, both parties unable to uh, work together on the issues facing this country. So uh, there are just a, a lot of dangerous threats to uh, our, our democracy right now that uh, should concern everyone. When you were in Congress, you were always known then and still even now uh, as a voice of unity. Is there something that uh, the Democrats can do a little differently or better uh, or that the Republicans can do a little different or better to sort of uh, bring this uh, situation to a place where it's manageable? Well, you know, I I tell the students uh, at our Panetta Institute that uh, in a democracy, uh, we govern either by leadership or by crisis. Uh, And uh, if leadership is there and willing to take the uh, risks associated with leadership, uh, I think you can can work to avoid crisis. But if if leadership's not there, uh, then we're going to govern by crisis. uh, And that's largely what we're doing today. So the real question then becomes... You know, is leadership going to step forward? Uh, and uh, to do that, uh, the leaders uh, of both parties uh, are, are going to have to take some risks because right now uh, both parties are in their political trenches. Nobody wants to offend their uh, political base. Uh, and so uh, no one is trying to reach out uh, to try to see if, if they can't resolve some of these issues on the basis of consensus. Uh, you know, when, I, when I've often said to, in my career, I've seen Washington at its best and Washington at its worst. Uh, the good news is I've seen Washington work where Republicans and Democrats were willing to work together. Uh, they always had their political differences, but on big issues, they were willing to work together, find consensus uh, and get things done, uh, govern the country. Uh, today, uh, that uh, that consensus is gone, and uh, as a result, there are a lot of issues that are confronting this country that are not being dealt with. So, yeah, the, the answer to this situation is for leadership to rise to the occasion and say, you know, instead of fighting each other out in the courts, instead of fighting each other out through impeachment process, how about if we try to sit down and try to arrive at some compromise here in order to make our democracy work? Mr. Secretary, it, 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 it occurs to me that you mentioned a minute ago about the both political sides being in the trenches and, and neither one willing to, to come up at this point. And while this is going on, that uh, in between those trenches is a path that seems to me that the Russians and others uh, who are uh, malevolent factors are taking advantage of that. Do you see that? Oh, I don't think there's any question that uh, uh, they they see uh, a United States that, uh, you know, for, for a lot of reasons uh, is unable to govern, uh, is divided, uh, partisan, uh, in gridlock, uh, and they view that as weakness. And uh, so Russia is going to try to take advantage of that. Uh, China is going to try to take advantage of that. Uh, our other adversaries... Uh, Iran and North Korea will try to take advantage of the fact that, uh, for whatever reason, uh, we, we, we have uh, neither a president or a Congress that are willing to work together uh, in order to, uh, to govern this country uh, and to deal with these threats. I mean, we are, 
Look, we're, we're the strongest nation uh, on the face of the earth, both militarily and I think economically. But uh, without leadership, without the ability of our system of government, uh, uh, unable to, to come together to deal with uh, all of these issues we're facing in our democracy, uh, we're, we're going to undermine uh, the strength of our of our democracy, and and that process is going on now. That's why uh, this is nothing to just joke about. Uh, this isn't politics as normal. Uh, I consider this a real threat to uh, the state of our democracy. That was Leon Panetta, former Secretary of Defense, former Director of the CIA, former White House Chief of Staff, and former member of Congress. The security of the nation is in a very tough place right now. But we will get through it. And we at Target USA will continue to cover the issues, events, people, and places, and threats that affect this nation. Coming up on our next program, whether it's terrorism, anarchy, cyber criminals, nation states intent on attacking the U.S., we're going to cover any and all of those issues that are relevant at the time. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green. One word at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, wtop.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. Also, we've got a new newsletter out. It's called Inside the Skiff. You can sign up at wtop.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, everybody. Check out The Charlie Kirk Show on Podcast One. The best-selling author, Twitter personality, and founder of Turning Point USA sits down with some of the biggest newsmakers of our time to bring you the inside scoop on Capitol Hill and so much more. Download new episodes of The Charlie Kirk Show every week on Apple Podcast and Podcast One. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.